Let's pray before I look at Matthew chapter 1. Father God, thanks for this time of year when we can pause and meet together especially to remember the significance, the world-changing, life-transforming coming of Jesus Christ. Please strengthen me to preach clearly and faithfully tonight. Open our hearts to hear good news, uh, even from this long list of names in this genealogy. We pray, God, that you might help us to engage with the truth that you give us here and that you might help us to respond to Jesus rightly. Amen. What is something that you've had to wait for with great expectation? I don't know if it was those uh, end-of-year marks or exam results. Was it to find out if you got that dream job? Or or, or are you just waiting for that next season of your favourite show on Netflix to come out? Kids, maybe you're actually waiting for tomorrow morning to come because then finally you can open your presents. Or do you remember having to wait and wait for those COVID lockdowns to end? For me... Uh, The birth of our first child was something my wife, Kirsty and I waited for with great expectation. After discovering Kirsty was pregnant, there's the waiting for the first ultrasound, for the morning sickness to end, the first kick to be felt, especially though waiting to meet our new little baby, to see them face to face and for us to find out, was it a boy or a girl? For us, there was also the waiting after the due date came and went. And for the mother, it was just the waiting for it all to be over. Josiah arrived after a long wait. He was long expected. And his arrival meant much joy. There was great rejoicing. Some people wait even longer to have a child. Some people wait and long for things in this life which they don't receive. But what we see in our passage tonight is the arrival of one who was long expected. The birth of Jesus fulfills many Old Testament promises and with his coming that the time has arrived. And I hope tonight to help you see a a, a big vision of the significance of Jesus as we place his coming in the larger story of the Bible. And I hope you'll see how wonderful his coming is and how good it is to trust him. Please open your Bible to Matthew chapter 1 and look at verse 1. It summarizes the genealogy. This is the account of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we're told that Jesus is firstly the Christ, secondly is the son of David, thirdly is the son of Abraham. And as you'll see, that's forming the first three of my four points today. The first being, uh, what does it mean that he is Jesus, the Christ? The name, as many of you will know, means the name Jesus comes from the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua, and it means the Lord saves. Look down at verse 21. It said, you're to give him, Joseph is told, you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This baby born that first Christmas is named Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. That means from the punishment 
the judgment that our sins deserve. And by sin, we don't just mean doing something naughty or bad, like eating too much, I don't know, ice cream or chocolate, as many of us might do at this time of year or every Christmas. And by sin, I don't just mean doing truly bad things, whatever it is you might put in that category, murder and stealing and assault and so forth. No, sin includes all the times we've been selfish and not loved God and not loved others. All those thoughts and words and actions where we ignore God and we we disobey him and we want to be in charge of our own lives, doing what makes us happy. And we've all done that. And so we've all sinned. Sin brings separation from God. It results in death, even eternal, never-ending death. And that's what Jesus came to save us from. How he did that, we'll come back to shortly. But he's also called the Christ, isn't he? Effectively for us, it sort of becomes part of his name, but, but really it's his title. Jesus is the Christ, which is the Greek for the Hebrew word Messiah. They both mean the anointed one. For the Israelites in the Old Testament Before the birth of Christ, prophets and priests and kings were all anointed with oil. They were anointed and set apart to that office, that position, that role, just like King Charles was, if you saw that. Prophets, they were anointed and they spoke words from God. Priests helped reconcile people to God. And kings... Israelite kings ruled on behalf of God. And Jesus is the ultimate prophet and priest and king. But but really, by the time of the first century, Christ, the title, the Christ, was primarily understood to be someone who would be a king. A promised king and deliverer, the ruler and rescuer, the one who will rescue by judging his people's enemies. The first century Jews, they were expecting the Christ to bring military victory over their earthly enemies and even smash the Romans. Jesus would fulfill this role of a conquering king who would destroy his enemies, but but not now. And not in an earthly way with earthly weapons. Jesus will return again as conqueror, as the last book of the Bible, Revelation, describes But that'll happen when he returns. But now, this Messiah, this Christ, has come to save people from their sins. Jesus shied away from being described as the Christ because that word was so misunderstood. But he was the Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asks his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And in verse 20, Jesus ordered his disciples to tell no one that he was the Messiah. And then from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, suffer many things 
at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and be raised to life on the third day. That tells us that for Jesus being the Christ, it fundamentally meant that he was the one who would save people from their sin by his suffering and his dying and his rising on the third day. Jesus being the Christ meant he would save people through his own death and resurrection. Saved by his death. In 2011, true story, a woman named Susan was pushing her two-year-old across some railway train tracks in California and the stroller became stuck. She desperately tried to free her daughter as the train bore down on her. And in a final moment of heroism, Susan freed the stroller and pushed her daughter clear. But she didn't have time to get out of the way herself. Susan died, sacrificing her life to save her daughter. Jesus, our creator and our king, died to save his people and not in some horrible accident but Jesus sacrificed his life intentionally and in love to save millions even billions of people all who would put their trust in him and despite us turning our backs on God And sinning every day, Jesus died in our place. He died so that everyone who puts their trust in him, turns to him in trust, dependent trust. Everyone who does that can be saved from eternal death and eternal judgment. Have you done that? Have you trusted him? Do you want to do that today? It's something you could choose to do even tonight. Put your trust in Jesus to save. And if you don't know how to do that, I would love to talk with you afterwards. Talk with someone you came with. There's books out on the table that explain this more. Please take them, they're free. The point is Jesus came to die to save sinners. People like you and me. Now, if we're really going to grasp what it means that Jesus is the Christ, we need to understand that he was the son of David, my brief second point. And the purpose of the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 is really to give clear evidence that Jesus was a son of David, a legal descendant of David. And this was really important for Jews. Genealogies were important for Jews, and especially if you needed to demonstrate your lineage back to David. And it's important because of a promise that God made to David in an Old Testament book called 2 Samuel in chapter 7. There God said to King David, when you rest with your fathers, as in die, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he'll be my son. That's what the Jews have been waiting for. 
a descendant of David who would rule over God's people and God's kingdom forever. And Jesus is the fulfillment of this 1,000-year-old promise. Jesus is the son of David. In fact, son of David had become a way of referring to the Messiah. Later on, when baby Jesus is grown, 30 years later, two blind men in Matthew chapter 9, they call out to Jesus, have mercy on us, son of David. A, few, a week, the week before his death, he's entering Jerusalem on a donkey. And the crowds on Palm Sunday, they shout, Hosanna to the son of David. The genealogy of Matthew 1 confirms that Jesus was of David's line. In fact, he was the promised son of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7. He is, he was, and he is the long-expected ruler and rescuer, the one who'd rule forever and bring true peace and justice and forever forgiveness. Jesus lives forever. He will rule forever. And when we turn to him as king of our lives and yield to him, Please know it's for our good, it's for our flourishing. He gives us life everlasting. So he's a king worth following, he's a king worth living for. And I ask, are you following him? Following him in living God's way. And I ask you Christians, will you keep following him with commitment in 2024 will you live with him as your king Jesus is the Christ a son of David he's also thirdly a son of Abraham being a descendant of Abraham was important for Jews they boasted in being Abraham's descendants even placed their confidence in being his physical descendants but it was a misplaced trust And what's important is that God made promises also to Abraham. And these point to and are fulfilled in Jesus. Nearly 2,000 years before Christ, God spoke to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And he said, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In Genesis chapter 22, it says that it's going to, this blessing to all the nations will come through his offspring. Who is this offspring? Again, it's Jesus. Galatians chapter 3 says, all of us who believe in him become children of Abraham. And in Galatians, another book in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 3 says, the purpose of Christ redeeming us was so that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles. That is, non-Jews come to us by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. If we trust Jesus, we wonderfully become adopted or spiritual children of Abraham. But really that means we receive the blessings of God's promises. We actually get to join God's family. His saved people. And we get to receive God's spirit, that says. 
That means God's presence with us forever. We are blessed. And that's true for Jews and for non-Jews like me. David Block was a practicing Orthodox Jew like his family. He was studying astronomy at a university in South Africa. He started asking his professor questions like what the purpose of life was. Who made the universe? What happens when you die? His professor took him to his pastor at church who explained the gospel to him. David says, suddenly it all became very clear to me. Yeshua had fulfilled the messianic prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament that is, such as where the Messiah would be born and and how he was to die. And while my people, the Jews remember, while my people were still waiting for the Messiah, I suddenly knew that Jesus was the Messiah and is the Messiah and I surrendered my heart and soul to him that day. I had come to faith in Jesus. That was October 1976. I think when we've been Christians a long time, we can lose the wonder and joy of realising just how amazing and life-transforming the coming of Jesus is. And if we're not Jews, we haven't been waiting for centuries for the promised Messiah to come. And yet I hope you're seeing that these promises are are now being fulfilled in Jesus. They have been fulfilled in Jesus. We are blessed. You've been saved by Jesus, then you are blessed. The overarching story of the Bible is about how God, in his grace, has come to fix our sin problem, to restore the broken relationship with him. The whole story of the Bible has been pointing to and looking forward to the coming of the Christ. Right after sin entered the world, God said an offspring of the woman would come who would crush the serpent's head, Satan's head. And then from Abraham we've heard 2000 BC. And to David And all the prophets, God's prophets, they've all been looking to and looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, God's promised king and deliverer. And even if you're not Jewish or religious, I think humanity has been waiting for someone to come and fix our broken worlds that is filled with suffering and sin where we Hurt and get hurt. Jesus, the long expected one, has arrived. The promises are being fulfilled. And this tells us that God has been at work the whole time. I think that's likely Matthew's point in verse 17. Matthew has structured the genealogy with these 14 generations from Abraham to David. And from David to the exile in Babylon, that's about 600 BC, 14 generations. From the exile to Babylon until Christ, 14 generations. Matthew has skipped some generations here and there to get this, but that happened in Jewish genealogies. It's not unheard of. 
Jesus' connection to David makes clear, is made clear. And it might have been structured around the number 14 because in Hebrew, the name David has a numerical value of 14. David being at the center of the passage. However, when you think about it, there's also a two times seven pattern. And seven being a number that represents completeness. It may simply be saying that God had a purpose in history. All of Israelite history, all of human history has through God's purposeful sovereignty and grace, it's been waiting for and preparing for the birth of Jesus. And we see God's purposeful sovereignty and his gracious kindness at work through the individuals in Jesus' genealogy. Noticing the individuals in his genealogy, it's my last point. Firstly, did you notice through all the long lists of names, most of whom you won't know and are hard to pronounce, I know, but did you notice which women are mentioned? Women actually weren't normally mentioned in Jewish genealogies at all. At all. Sadly, they had no legal rights, but but here in Jesus' genealogy, five women are mentioned. Look at Tamar in verse 3. Back in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 38, it tells us how her father-in-law Judah betrayed her. She acted like a prostitute. Her father-in-law slept with her and she bore twins out of wedlock. She's part of Christ's ancestry. And then there's Rahab, the Gentile prostitute from Jericho. And then there's another foreigner, Ruth the Moabitess. And verse 5 refers to Bathsheba. She's not even named. She's described as Uriah's wife. Some might say these are stains on Christ's lineage, but really these women draw attention to the sinful men mentioned. We've already heard about how Judah was guilty of immorality, sleeping with Tamar. Genesis presents Abraham and Jacob, warts and all guilty of shameful actions. It was King David, the high points of the Old Testament people of Israel, the highlight of their hopes as king. He took another man's wife. Other kings in the list did great evil in the Lord's sight. But actually even Mary, the mother of Jesus, needed the salvation of that her son would bring. No one in this list is good enough to save themselves. The long list of names in Jesus' family tree just makes us realize the good are in with the bad. In fact, the the boundaries between good and bad are so blurred. The point is we're all sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is good, not even one. All the people in this list are sinners and all of them need a saviour. The gospel is for all people, Jew and Gentile, good and bad, rich and poor, king and peasant, man and woman. And that's what this genealogy tells us. It's to make us all say the gospel is for me. Jesus is for me. 
Jesus came to save me, whatever my standing in society, whatever my background, whatever I've done. Even if I'm a nobody. The descendants after Zerubbabel in verse 13, we know nothing about them. But God used them. And from them has come the Christ. The one who would save us from our sins. Maybe you feel you are a nothing. Or there's nothing you can contribute to others or to God's church. Well, this genealogy also tells you that God saves people who think they're nothing. And God can use people who think they are nothing, even you, to accomplish his purposes. This genealogy teaches us that individuals matter to God. You may not be great, but you have a great God. Don't forget that. You may not be good, but you have a good God, one who is willing to forgive and save you if you will turn to his King and Saviour, Jesus. And he's a great and good God who can use you to accomplish his Christ-centered purposes in this world. The genealogy of Matthew 1 tells us that Jesus, the Christ, has arrived. The fulfillment of Israel's hopes, their long-awaited expectations. Christmas reminds us that in God's great rescue plan, the promised king and rescuer has come. He is Jesus, the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Believe in him. He's the one that we should celebrate this Christmas. Celebrate because the long-expected deliverer has arrived and rescued us from our sins. And I hope knowing that, if you're a Christian here, I hope knowing that can lead you to cry out in your heart or with your lips, hallelujah. Trouble is most people ignore him. My daughter Alexis recently shared with me a song by Taylor Swift. I wonder if there's some who are waiting for a concert in a couple of months. But she is one of the most popular artists in the world right now. She sings, in Christmas must be something more. I want to close with some lyrics of Taylor Swift. Today holds something special, something holy, not superficial. So here's to the birthday boy who saved our lives. Something we all try to ignore. We get so caught up in all of it, business and relationships, 100 mile an hour lives, and it's this time of year and everybody's here. It seems the last thing on your mind. It's that the day holds something special, something holy, not superficial. So here's to Jesus Christ who saves our lives. Saved our lives. She wants to celebrate him. Remember, there's something far more than presents and lights and all the things that we focus on. Taylor Swift is right on this. I wonder if you agree. Let's pray. God, we pray you'd 
forgive us when we focus on your good gifts and not you, the giver and the greatest gift of all, Jesus. We grieve that there's so many in our world and our city who ignore him. There is so much more to Christmas. We pray, Father, we would not forget the Christ in Christmas, the one who is the king, who rules with all authority, the one who came to give his life to save us from our sins. Thank you that he has, for everyone who trusts him, saved our lives. And for any here tonight, any watching and listening, who've not experienced that salvation that Jesus gives, we pray that they might not find rest until they find rest and life and peace in Jesus. Amen.